This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Blue Jays fans. We have quite an eventful lineup of things to talk about with you today. It's Brendan Panikar with my good buddy Craig Borden in Rochester, New York. Craig, how are you after all this trade deadline madness and surely more to come? Um, I'm glad I have hair left. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I... quite have epic Boba Shet hair, but um, the flow is going. But I, after all the stress of watching things go literally in every direction, Brendan, it's slightly insane what's going on in Blue Jays country right now. It's crazy, man. There's so much going on. And the one question I'm going to ask you right off the bat, have you ever seen Blue Jays' Twitter in this much of a meltdown for a trade of a player? <laughs> there hasn't been this much trending Blue Jays stuff on Twitter since the fact that we made, broke the the playoff curse. It's literally yeah. that level of insane of how much. And I think the thing that shocks me the most is the polarizing, um, you know, topics there's literally nobody in any of the gray middle ground you're either this side or you're that side and and then frick everything else in the middle (laughs) yeah you summed that up quite well actually there's other people who are justifying the trade and are getting excited about the return which is anthony k in simeon woods richardson from the new york mets or there are people who are very upset that marcus stroman has been traded you can be both it's okay to be upset that Marcus Stroman is gone, but it is also okay that you can be excited for Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson. So, Craig, what side do you fall on? Are you on the side of, I would have kept Marcus Stroman and extended him, or are you excited about the return that this team got, or are you in the middle ground? I'm definitely leaning toward the I'm you know the future aspect of this whole thing. But it's more 60-40, maybe 75-25% leaning in that direction. But the fact that I just don't know for sure if we were going to be competitive in Marcus Stroman's window, Brendan. And that's what scares me. With these kids, we got a little bit more of extended control and an extended window of opportunity. And I think you're a firm believer in that one. Yeah, I absolutely am. I couldn't agree with you more. And I don't think the Blue Jays were ever going to come close to an agreement with Marcus Stroman if they ever seriously talked extension. I believe there was a report by Ben Nicholson-Smith, or maybe it was Shai Davidi, that they had exchange numbers and they just weren't close at all. So if that was the case with all the history between Marcus Stroman and the front office dating back to his arbitration hearings as far back as 2017, you know what, man, you could really see that there was a fractured relationship between this front office and Marcus Stroman. So they opted to get guys who were going to fit in this window long-term. Ultimately, though, Craig, are, what is one of your favorite Marcus Stroman memories uh, that you have from his tenure as a Blue Jack? Oh, that first start back from his ACL injury, man, that just was insane when he came back in 2015. The Blue Jays are in the neck and neck of a playoff race for the first time for a division, nonetheless. And him just coming in there, that was like the best freaking trade free agent signing you could have had around the trade deadline that season. Oh my God, it was just insane getting somebody. And the fact that not only did he come back, Brendan, but the fact that he performed as well as he did down the stretch for the Blue Jays in 2015 doesn't get any better. Yeah. I uh, I remember where I was for Marcus Stroman's first return back from that surgery. I believe he was pitching against the Boston Red Sox, pitched very well. I want to say he went into the seventh inning against the Red Sox. Right in the middle of September, 
when this team was finally getting back to the playoffs for the first time. I was watching the game in Pittsburgh, of all places, before going to watch my 49ers play the Steelers and get absolutely annihilated. But that's another topic for another day. It's <laughs> a whole pro football but, talk away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a, that's, a little, that's a few weeks from now when we can actually get excited for the Buffalo Bills and for the San Francisco 49ers, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, the Strowman came back from his ACL injury, and he said when he tore his ACL that he was going to come back and pitch for this team in 2015, and he absolutely did it. He absolutely shoved. I think the one memory that I have that I always look back on, because nobody ever talks about this, because obviously it's overshadowed by the bat flip, but how good and important was Marcus Stroman during that playoff run, especially that John Gibbons tabbed him to be his Game 5 starter in a do-or-die against the Texas Rangers. It's shocking when you think of all those other things around that. I was very excited with how he had been pitching to be starting in that game five, but oh my god, would you have seen that coming like in June at all? You just you, nope. you figure he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you gotta write him off. That stupid sprinkler, you know. <laughs> it's like the everybody everything else. I it was just bad timing for the Blue Jays and you never thought in a million years that he was gonna come back and let alone be an ace at that point. That that was the best we ever saw out of Marcus Stroman, I think, in those year in that uh, end of that season, coming in fresh, just running with it right through the Blue Jays, and the fact that he didn't get a chance to pitch in the World Series that year is just as heartbreaking as anything else. But is what it is. How how crazy would it have been if the Blue Jays did play the Mets and Marcus Stroman pitched against them, and now he's pitching for them? <laughs> That's a completely that parallel universe. Complete shenanigans level. But the only other one that I would think even comprehended that kind of fathomable level, Brennan, was the fact that he was the World Baseball Classic MVP and just watching him decimate some of the best players in all of baseball throughout that tournament was very, very impressive. Yeah, it sure was. And you know what? That's what a lot of people are going on about, that John Gibbons had Marcus Stroman to start a Game 5 against the Texas Rangers, and Jim Leland tabbed him to start uh, for Team USA in a game where they could have won the World Baseball Classic, and they did. And I remember watching that game live, as I'm sure you were, training for the United States, Marcus Stroman. What was it? He went six innings and didn't allow a hit before he gave up his first one in the seventh inning. And shimmy all the way. (laughs) Shimmy all the way. Adam Jones loved it. Everybody on that Team USA loved it. But I think the fact that you had David Price in 2015 and you acquired him to be your ace and John Gibbons still wanted Marcus Stroman to go out there and be the guy who starts in a winner-take-all game in Game 5. Plus, he did it the year later when I would say Marcus Stroman was maybe the third or fourth best pitcher on the team because he was struggling a little bit in 2016 when you had Jay Happ winning 20 games, Aaron Sanchez was your ERA title, and Marco Estrada was still being Marco Estrada. Marco started the wildcard game, too, and he was equally as impressive, wasn't he? Very much so, and it it was a different season for him in 2016. It just it seemed like he was trying to be a little fine, too fine at certain points, and that's when you saw some of his run. You know, it was ups and downs for his 2016 season, but it ended up leveling off very nice, and he did have a very nice cap off to his season in the playoffs there with the Blue Jays. But it was like I said that him coming in fresh and he was like a freight train coming in at 2015, where obviously you could see. That, that season off kind of did affect him for the 2016 season. Just that fact of keeping fresh and everything, I think, was part of it, too. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're completely correct on that. The one thing that I've discussed with you, especially we'll get into the return in a little bit and cover Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson in much more detail in a little bit, but I think people are upset with this trade because they didn't get back a top 100 prospect, but also because Blue Jays fans were looking and valuing Marcus Stroman as an ace or a number one guy, where some teams may have not even viewed him as a number two or even a number three. Maybe he was a number three on a really good team like the Houston Astros. Marcus Stroman fitting in. I don't want now, but let's just say the contending Astros or the Indians, whoever it would have been that ended up picking up Marcus Stroman. Is Marcus Stroman an ace? Did we overvalue him in regards to this, these trade talks? I think that's where most of the confusion on this whole thing is coming from. 
Marcus Stroman, and this is nothing against him at all, because he does have all the talent in the world, and he still has plenty of upside, Brennan. But the fact that he is not a Justin Verlander, a Corey Kluber, you know, any of these kind of just upper echelon pitchers, he might be that in a couple years. We don't know. But the fact that he's not that right now, he's just a controllable, good pitcher, which unfortunately in most major league staffs, especially playoff contending teams, he's a third starter. I I'm honestly shocked we got what we even got for him a little bit to a point without having to spice it up with like a Ken Giles or throw in Smokey or whoever just to get that other good high echelon prospect. But the fact that the Blue Jays were apparently shopping everywhere and the way they whittled this list down to where they got to is because nobody really wanted to deal their young players. The fact that we were able to pull the two best pitchers from the Mets, I guess, is the best offer that was on the table which is saying a lot, I think. Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And you go around and look at some of the teams who uh, the Blue Jays were reportedly dealing with and had interest in Marcus Stroman. It's widely reported that they wanted Davey Garcia from the New York Yankees, and they said no. The only way they would give up Garcia if it was for Weston Degard. The only other teams that they truly negotiated with may be the Houston Astros. And not likely that they would sell low on Forrest Whitley, their top pitching prospect, who is not doing very well right now. And I also don't think that they would have given them Kyle Tucker, their top outfield prospect. And then you go to the Minnesota Twins. The one team, Craig, that I'm a little surprised didn't pony up for Marcus Stroman. Perhaps they did because they have some really good pitchers, but they are much further along and away from the big leagues compared to the return they got in Simeon Woods Richardson and Anthony Kay. So I want to get into the fallout from this trade and then kind of get into who Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson is as big leagues and now in the minor leagues of the Toronto Blue Jays. Ultimately, the rotation as it thinks currently set up, Aaron Sanchez, Jacob Wakespack, Ryan Barucki, Thomas Pannone, and Sean Reed Foley. The one reason that Blue Jays fans did not want Marcus Stroman to be traded was because of how bare that sounds. So, Craig, you go around and look at the teams who were rumored to be wanting to trade for Marcus Stroman. The Yankees, they didn't want to give up David Garcia. You go to the Houston Astros, and they probably didn't want to give up Forrest Whitley, their top pitching prospect, or Kyle Tucker, their top outfield prospect for Marcus Stroman, a guy that they were going to slot in as a, and value as a number three pitcher. The one team I'm a little surprised that didn't pony up for Marcus Stroman is the Minnesota Twins because they do have a very good farm system. They have a clear need for a starting pitcher behind Jose Barrios for their playoff run. But ultimately, do you think that this was the best the Blue Jays could do with the New York Mets getting Simeon Woods Richardson and Anthony Kay? I think a lot of it is the fact that the Blue Jays were looking for somebody that is a plug-in away from being a major leaguer. And I think you get that with Anthony Kay, who has been, yeah, spending the most part in double-A, but he has been in triple-A for a decent amount of this season, where I don't know what, at the triple-A level here in Rochester, the Twins would have been able to offer on an equal level to Anthony Kay. And I think that was the tipping point, where if they could have gotten two guys like uh, Woods Richardson from the uh, Twins, which was probably what the other side of the coin was, you're talking two, three years down the road, and as you mentioned, right now we need somebody that's close to be able to plug into that rotation or at least throw into the mix with Pannone, Reed Foley, and company. And I think that's why they ended up going to the Mets. Was that the best thing on the table? Maybe not, but like I said, I think that addresses the area of need for the current team to the point where they can run in and maybe get a couple free agents to pepper out throughout the you know depth chart for high-end <laughs> next offseason and throw in Anthony Kay and company, and all of a sudden you got what will hopefully turn out into a pretty nice five-man rotation with Shoemaker and Barucki back for full seasons, hopefully. You know, that's not too bad to think even if those guys are all on the same level talent-wise, it's deep. It is. It absolutely is deep. And that's one thing I tried to point out to Blue Jays fans yesterday, Craig, with one of my tweets. I grouped the, the current crop of starting pitchers in the minor league into waves. And I'm sure a lot of you saw this tweet. And let me know if you agree with these, because there's definitely names like a TJ Zoic. But wave one, you have transfer Jacob Wiggins-Pack, Foley, Ryan Barucki, Thomas Pannone, and I'll add TJ Zoic 
Wave two, you have a Nate Pearson, Zach Lug, Patrick Murphy, Yenzi Diaz, and I've added Anthony Kay into wave number two. And then wave number three, you have Simeon Woods Richardson, Eric Pardino, Alex Manoa, Kendall Williams, Adam Kloffenstein, and there are other names that I've missed, like a Josh Winkowski. So when you look at it that way, I think a lot of people were complaining about how bare the rotation was going to look post-Marcus Stroman. But when you really group it all together and look at the big picture of all those names, is it such a bad thing that there is another open spot in the rotation for the likes of a Sean Reed Foley or Jacob Wegespack or Thomas Pannon to get extended run in this rotation? We're going to lose 100 games, according to Ken Rosenthal, so it might as well be 100 <laughs> losses with uh, Sean Reed Foley <laughs> out on the mound. I, this is like we've been saying over repetitively. This is the year to try things, and if they don't try something with these kids now, when are they going to get a chance? There is a very realistic chance that we have a better look next season. This offense, Brendan, has been off the freaking chain in very good spurts lately. You got to think that's going to become more consistent next year, and you don't know what that last little piece is they throw into the fire here to you know really set it off. And the fact that you, I think when the, you're, this team, the management's really looking at the operating window of where this team is really going to hit its stride is 2020. You look at that wave tiered out thing that you just laid out for everybody. When are most of those guys going to hit? You're talking about having the Nate Pearsons and all of them come up and be part of this rotation possibly in 2020 because if you really look at the ways you way you laid that out that's when they could possibly be major league ready and i really think that's the way it's really nice with how you laid out those waves and i think that nails that 2020 2021 where we're super competitive yeah and i honestly think that and you know what i actually didn't think about that when i was grouping them together i kind of tried to (laughs) you're welcome together (laughs) <laughs> based on their age uh, and whatnot. But, yeah, I, I completely agree. The good thing about, I mean, like I guess suppose to some people who actually believe that trading Stroman is not such a bad thing, the good thing about this is you're going to start being able to make calls long-term on Trent Thornton, Wagus Pack, Reed Foley, Barucki, Pannon. I would argue uh, Ryan Barucki has a rotation spot locked up for the next few years. Trent Thornton you may be able to throw in there, too, because he's pitched pretty good for the most part this year, a few rocky starts before he went on the injured list. But then you can finally start to make calls on a Vegas pack, a Sean Reed Foley, and a Thomas Pannone. And then if they don't hit, or if they don't carve out roles for them in the 2020 rotation, then you're going to have to have start, you're going to have guys start coming up from wave two, like a Nate Pearson, a Zach Logue, a Patrick Murphy, whoever it may be. And it could even be Anthony Kay as soon as the end of this year or next year. So honestly, Craig, I think what we're trying to tell Blue Jays fans, it's not all that bad that Marcus Stroman was traded. I I agree with why you would want to keep him. He's a solid pitcher, but the fact that you were going to have to probably overpay him, in my opinion, to stay in Toronto because of that animosity with the front office, I just I didn't see a deal ever coming in together to the point where it was good for both sides in that whole equation. Right now, I'm loving the fact that they are playing all the kids and they're just letting them eat right now at Major League level. With some exceptions, obviously, with ups and downs with certain players in the minors leagues, but the fact that those guys have went back down to Buffalo and come back strong, Roddy Telez is going to be the next example of this whole thing, Brennan, as he's been just going, doing nothing but just destroy triple-A pitching since he's went back down. With a couple little new quirks, he's actually opened up his stance a little bit, and I think that's actually a pretty good move for him. But Stroman, I'm sorry, I just didn't see where he was going to fit in when they're trying to focus on the youth movement in this team. You know, I completely agree with you because I just, yeah, you were going to have to pay overpay Marcus Stroman to keep him here probably with the animosity between the front office. I do understand where Blue Jays fans come from, that you wanted him extended. And if they were able to reach an extension, I wouldn't have been bothered by that at all. I actually would have been quite happy because he's a known commodity. So I do understand the reluctance of Blue Jays fans to accept this trade because you get two unproven commodities. You never know. There's a chance that Simeon Woods Richardson or Anthony Kay never see the big leagues. I would put that chances as very low and not very likely because Anthony Kay is quite close. And that actually opens up the discussion that I want to get into you. 
Craig, who is Anthony Kay, the pitcher? Give us a little bit of background on Anthony Kay, where he's going to be reporting in the Blue Jays organization, and do you think we could see him when rosters expand in September? First thing I have to say is if you're not following this kid on Twitter already, you need to. <laughs> He's hysterical. The fact that he actually put in a request to MLB Cut 4 for his you know wonderfully edited photo with the Blue Jay hat on, I thought that was hysterical. And the fact that he's asking Blue Jays fans on Twitter already what poutine is and... <laughs> And everything is just classic stuff. So follow at Tony Buckets 18 as he gets ready to report to Buffalo tomorrow, Thursday, I guess. But this is a guy that, honestly, Brendan, I'm pretty impressed. He was a first-round draft pick in 2016. He's looked pretty good. Not He's got some pretty good numbers, too. I'm in, a little rough in Syracuse with the AAA stuff this year, but through his uh, 12 starts in AA, he just did nothing but truck through it with a 1.49 ERA and a barely 165 batting average against, so that's pretty impressive, and maybe he hasn't made the full transition to AAA yet, because obviously it is a new level, but he could be something special, and he's in the 90s. He's got a 92-94 mile an hour fastball, so with some good secondary pitches. Yeah, his control uh, on his pitches is rated 50. His fastball, curveball, and changeup are all 55s, which is bordering along being 60, which would put him in the above-average category. If he can develop two of those pitches to be above-average, I think you have yourself a pretty solid major leaguer. As you reference, he was absolutely dominating in AA. He was in the Futures game this year in Cleveland with Nate Pearson and now their teammates bit of a rough transition to AAA uh, when he got promoted to the Syracuse Mets. And funny enough, the Buffalo Bisons, who Anthony Kay now plays for, come into Salem Field on Saturday and this weekend as a whole. But I, I think it's a good trade, man, especially that you get a guy who can probably factor into your rotation in 2019-2020, but then you have the other side of this trade, which I am personally much more excited for than Simeon Woods-Richardson. Give us a little bit of background on him and why should Blue Jays fans be excited about this kid? This kid is a going to be a force. I really think that our friend Jason Lee of the show here hit this nail really, really hard on the head. He's a young kid just like Eric Pardino, and we all have an idea what Eric Pardino could be in the minor league system for the Toronto Blue Jays as he's been the stud from Brazil. But... Woods Richardson is also in that same ballpark where he's got a very good fastball, 95, 96 miles an hour, and apparently even can get to 97 on a good day. But the fact that he offsets that with a pretty solid changeup is going to make this very impressive because I think the best pitchers that develop into something usually have a fastball changeup combination at least to start for their foundations or their minor league or their minor league work, and then they develop that curveball, slider, whatever the hell that out pitch is throughout. But if you can have a way to keep Major League Baseball or even minor league baseball hitters uh, off pace, Brendan, that's already a win in the um, a good one in the win column for you. And I think this kid's got that kind of stuff. You know, I think the best barometer of this trade, Craig, is looking at the replies of Mets fans when they found out Simeon Woods Richardson was being included in this trade because they were high on this kid. They did not want him to be traded for Marcus Stroman, or in any trade for that matter. You know what? The most common comparison I saw Mets fans make to Simeon Woods Richardson is he was dubbed as the next four to Noah Syndergaard. And if he turns out to that, then we finally get our Noah Syndergaard all the way back, come full circle from the R.A. Dickey trade. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm feeling the remnants and the revenge of the R.A. Dickey trade coming in strongly because <laughs> that is still among Blue Jays fans of the Anthopolis era. That is still one of the only, you know, the big hurts of the whole trade history with Alex Anthopoulos is the fact that we had to give up somebody like Noah Syndergaard to the Mets to be able to get R.A. Dickey back, who at the time had just won the National League Cy Young Award. So selling high on him, you have to give up something, and we ended up giving up, what, three top prospects in that trade between Syndergaard, Denard, and I believe there's somebody else in that. But the two guys out of that trade, Thor is doing is obviously Thor, and I think Travis Denard is actually one of the best catchers in, minor league, or in the majors all of a sudden. Yep, <laughs> he's magic just crushing with it for the Rays all of a sudden, who just got picked up off of waivers because the Mets are like, nah, we're done with you, we're done with it. 
<laughs> yep, bounce around from the Mets to the Dodgers and now on the Rays, and the Rays have sprinkled their magic fairy dust or whatever they do to make guys good again and always seem to kill the Blue Jays. But yeah, Simeon with Richardson, just an overview of his numbers right now, uh, pitching in single A, he threw 78 in the third innings, uh, 425 ERA in 20 starts, five home runs, 17 walks, and 97 strikeouts, Craig. If you look at the in-depth statistics on Seaman Richardson, the ERA isn't overly impressive or flashy, so people were kind of trying to gripe at that a little bit and be upset at that. But if you look at the underlying statistics on this kid, he is top five in almost every single pitching category, whether it's FIP, XFIP, uh, K-to-ball ratio, uh, whatever it is, this kid looks absolutely legit, and he is the crowning jewel of this return. Ultimately, when do you think we see Simeon Woods Richardson in the big leagues? Because I believe he is going to be reporting to Dunedin uh, down there with uh, some of the younger pitching prospects. Is it 2021, 2022, or a little bit later than that? I'm putting him in the safe bet ballpark with him and Pardino are probably going to be on the same pace for the rest of their minor league career, and I'm thinking two years. That so would I'm thinking 2021-ish. That would be lovely, and then puts them right in that wave three that I have there with Eric Pardino, uh, Alex Manoa. It's going to be exciting to – I wish that they had the Dineen Blue Jays on the minor league baseball feed because I would love to see this kid pitching down the stretch for the Dineen Blue Jays who are still destroying the Florida State League, regardless of the fact yeah. that they've bled a couple of players up to the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. They are just finding ways to plug in new talent from Lansing. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse Goldberg Strassler. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Lansing Lugnats are also still doing pretty well, too. So this influx of talent has been very, very interesting to watch. And this is just throwing more kerosene on that fire by putting Woods Richardson and K into this minor league system that was already very, very thick. <laughs> And it's going to be wonderful competition. And I think that's where the biggest thing is that people need to realize. These guys are all going to be fighting for those major league jobs. So they're going to kind of, kind of keep one-upping each other or want to. And they're going to, but that, and it's been great to watch the major league level so far. You know, the hitters are coming in, but we haven't seen many of the pitchers yet. This is the next wave, and it's going to be very fun to watch. Yep, you're absolutely correct. They have the wave of position prospects coming up. That is still a little bit there with guys further down the system like a Jordan Groshan or Kevin Smith or whoever it may be. But now the pitching cupboard is finally full again. Just a few years ago, we were hoping and praying that a guy like Connor Green would be our savior and come up to the major leagues, or we were putting all of our eggs in the Sean Reed Foley basket. Now, Craig, I think the thing Blue Jays fans need to realize is some of these kids may not pan out. All those kids that we listed in those waves right there based on the tweet. They may not all pan out, but that's okay. If you were to take one pitcher from each of those waves that that are going to pan out, you have three-fifths of your rotation pretty much set in stone. And we were already talking money. that we have Ryan Barucki at the major league level and probably that's, Trent Thornton. So that's a solid rotation with you take those two and then throw in three others. There you go. And I would hedge Easy. my bets that probably more of those guys are going to make a dent than the negatives. For sure. And I think the other thing to consider is it's very rare that you have an entirely homegrown pitching rotation. Extremely rare to do that. Plus, when this team is ready to get competitive again, they have so much extra depth that they could trade some of these guys to turn into help around the diamond or bullpen help, wherever it may be. I will tip my hat to Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro for filling this organization up with quality pitching prospects and they have an overabundance of it now that they only need a few of them to hit, and they can fill the rest of the rotation in with free agent signing and trade. It is a super exciting time, and honestly, man, I'm sad to see Marcus Stroman go, but at the same time, I think you and I both completely understand why this trade was made. I there agree are two other you. trades. I got, I got a, just one more note I got to ma- mention to For Blue sure. Jays fans. Go so. Anthony Kay and and Simeon Woods Richardson slot in at five and seven respectively in the Blue Jays top ten. I don't know if how many people are listening to this show regularly enough to know what kind of a feat that actually is in our minor league system. <laughs> this is beating out guys like Miguel Geraldo, Adam Klobenstein, Relvis Martinez that are 
expected to be nothing but major leaguers. And you're throwing guys like this right into that fire. Right, there's Anthony K is right now ranked above Eric Pardino in our minor league prospect stuff according to MLB prop pipeline. That's pretty impressive. All good things. All very, very good things. And that is a very good point you bring up. They instantly slot into the top ten in the Blue Jays system, which is already a very strong system, filled with some pretty good pitching prospects. I believe um, oh, crap, the Athletic or somebody was ranking us as number three in all of baseball and minor league system talent, only behind the Atlanta Braves and the San Diego Padres. Yeah, and that is a fantastic place to be. There is no doubt about that. And if that system can develop the way we all think it can, this team really is not that far away, Craig. And it is going to be very exciting and fun and cool to be a Blue Jays fan again, potentially as soon as next year. If not, in 2021, I think we can put all of our eggs in that basket of this team being competitive again. So it's going to be a fantastic time to be a Blue Jays Trending upward. Trending upwards, my friend. I think there's the title of our episode right there. <laughs> well done. Although it would be Stroh Down Trending Upward. <laughs> yes, Stroh Down Trending Upward. There we go. It's settled. That's the name of the episode. There you go. But yeah, we have two other trades to talk about. One of them occurred on Sunday as well in Eric Sogard, and one of them occurred today. And I, I want to say, and I want to touch on this one first, a bit of a surprise move. I did not expect David Phelps to be a guy to be traded, considering he's only pitched 17.1 innings since coming back from major arm issues and surgery. They got back Thomas Hatch, the 29th-ranked prospect in the Chicago Cubs system. Craig, evaluate this trade for me, because honestly, how can you think it's anything bad? You picked up David Phelps off the scrap heap, and he barely pitched for you, and you're able to turn him into an asset. Turned into a pretty good asset, too. In all reality, I think uh, Thomas Hatch is the kind of the forgotten guy in the minor league system for the Chicago Cubs, and that's why they were like, you know what, we're just going to move on and we're going to get a nice piece here for our playoff push. He was, only a thir- he was a 32nd rounder originally by the Rockies, and he was a third rounder by the Cubs in 2016. That's a pretty big jump in draft position. <laughs> he pitched really, really well his second season at Oklahoma State. And they jumped right into the minor leagues with the Cubbies and has been pretty good. You know, his ERA might not reflect how good he's been, but the fact that he's pumping out 120 innings a season and he's almost matching that with strikeouts, Brendan. So he's got missing the bat stuff. And that's where, in my opinion, that's why I wanted to hold on to David Phelps. I was happier than a pig in shit (laughs) (laughs) watching Dave Phelps come out of our bullpen here all of a sudden. And the fact that you had somebody like that that misses the barrel at a pretty good rate in David Phelps throughout his career, other than his little tenure with the Yankees starting rotation. This is another guy that is thrown pretty good into the double-A, triple-A level for the Buffalo Bisons, New Hampshire Fisher Cats, and the Blue Jays system, that could be something pretty good. You know, I'd say his ceiling is a lot higher than his current spot, and hopefully the pieces just come together, man, because he had 143 innings in double-A in 2018, and only had a 3.8 ERA. It's pretty good. It is pretty good, and I believe in 2017, Thomas Hatch was the seventh-ranked prospect in the Chicago Cubs system. So there's some talent there. And even though I was surprised that David Phelps was traded, I guess I can kind of understand. I thought they were going to keep him, let him build up his value a little bit more, and flip him at the deadline next year. But if you have a team come calling for a guy who is coming off of a major injury, I suppose you just got to get rid of him at that point, don't you? Yeah, I wonder how much of this move was actually inspired by what else is going on with injuries and whatnot, but I guess we'll touch on that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a whole other side of this trade deadline. The only other thing I want to touch upon before we get there, kind of going out of order from our little rundown that we had before the show, Eric Sogard was traded to the Tampa Bay Rays on Sunday. There's not much that we can draw from this trade because it's two players to be named later. I'm assuming that they're going to be some really low-level minor leaguers complete lottery tickets again kind of like david phelps but even a little bit better eric sogard was minor league signing which cost them absolutely nothing he came up here and absolutely raked and was a complete professional nobody saw this coming from eric sogard and be nerd (laughs) yeah 
I don't think anybody thought he could be a trade candidate come this trade deadline. Craig, no, I believe at the beginning of the season, most people were constantly moaning and grunting about why the hell we're even going after Eric Sogard or even players like Eric Sogard. I believe Adam Corsair quoted me on his show <laughs> <laughs> that I don't understand it. I was I, like you at the beginning of the season. I was like, this is a depth move in case Devin Travis, the rookies, whatever does not pan out. You have somebody that's played in the majors that can be a key contributor in the dugout. Perfect. Whatever. You got him on a minor league deal. No big issues. We just turned a minor league guy that had an incredible season. And honestly, I'm wondering how much of this might actually be the new Eric Sogard from a few things he's done over the from last year to this year. But the fact that you turned him into two, even players to be named later, you turned him into two assets that you're going to be able to control for the next five years. Sign me up. Time me up, considering he was a minor league signing. Game on. Craig, give me, to wrap this one up, we can't really dive too much into it because we don't know what the return is quite yet. There's going to be lottery tickets, we know that. What was your favorite Eric Sogard memory? <laughs> oh, um, strangely okay with the home run he hit on Vladdy night when I came up to start the thing off. <laughs> yep. The it's fact crazy. that he was a spark plug like that for what? I think he had three or four leadoff home runs out of his seven? I believe you're right. It's insane. And the fact, just watching him piss pitchers off, that was my favorite thing in the world. That What was that game that he had 14, 16 hit pitches off of Chris Sale in Boston? That was fun yeah. to watch. You could just see Chris Sale getting angrier and angrier with every pitch. <laughs> he was the ultimate professional. Strangely, quite a few games that I went to, I completely forgot that he homered in that Vladdy debut. I caught quite a few Eric Sogard home runs. So, honestly... Very small tenure here. His wife is hilarious to follow on Twitter. I definitely recommend it. She is a must-follow. But Eric Sogard, we wish you the best. And you know what? We haven't sent our well wishes to Marcus Stroman. I also wish Marcus Stroman the best with the New York Mets. Best of wishes to Marcus Stroman. And in all reality, if the Mets can put anything together at all, they actually do still have a pretty decent shot at getting in the playoffs. But everything has to go right and somebody like Marcus Stroman coming into that dugout and lighting a fire under everybody's ass might exactly do it. I hope so. It'll be very much fun to see Marcus Stroman pitch in the playoffs again. The Mets, I believe, sit six games back of the wildcard spot, so it's going to be tough. They're in a very tough division. The biggest thing is that that playoff spot, I think, has a good chance if they don't trade Thor. And as of... Tuesday evening at 6.48. They haven't gotten that far yet, and it sounds like it's dead in the water. He's supposed to be making a start tonight in Chicago, so I think that tells you they plan on keeping him. You never know. Things could change if somebody offers them a crazy return. You never know. But I do wish Marcus Stroman the best, and I hope he gets back to the playoffs soon with the New York Mets or wherever he goes after next year if it's not with the New York Mets. But, Craig, the trade candidates this team has, we've traded Eric Sogar. We've traded Marcus Stroman, probably our second biggest trade ship. We've traded David Phelps in a bit of a surprise. We still have guys like Ken Giles, Daniel Hudson, Justin Smoke, Freddie Galvis, and Joe Biagini. We'll cross Freddie Galvis off the list. Haven't heard much about him in terms of rumors thus far. Joe Biagini has been rumored to be uh, linked to the Atlanta Braves, but I want to cover the big news of the day. That's Ken Giles. Ken Giles went for an MRI. Apparently he came back clean, but he's still dealing with arm issues. Craig, at this point, what do you do with Ken Giles? Do you trade him? Do you keep him? Do you extend him? What do you do? The way I see it right now, he's going to be a Blue Jay to end this season. And I don't think you can do much else than that. You're not going to get the trade value you want from trading Ken Giles this second. So at at minimum, you keep him for this season and hold on to him. And maybe you flip him in the offseason or to somebody this spring after he shows that he's looking a little bit better or he's at least still good to go for another season. Ken Giles is still going to be an elite closer in Major League Baseball. And in all reality, I still have zero issue about that being in a Blue Jays bullpen that now is going to be without probably Joe Biagini, Daniel Hudson, um, David Phelps. And I want that veteran presence. Maybe I'm, like I said before on Twitter a few weeks ago, I'm being selfish. I want to have somebody like Ken Giles that can lock up games for these young pitchers. And I really think that is a very important thing that this team needs to find somebody, if it's not Ken Giles, that can be lights out to lock up games for all these young pitchers, is it's a confidence booster. How pissed off do you think Aaron Sanchez was the other day? 
nine to one when he left the ball game. <laughs> you have Ken Giles in that bullpen at the end of that game. Guess what? Aaron Sanchez probably gets his first win in like freaking what twelve starts. <laughs> Poor That's Aaron insane. Sanchez. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what this front office does in re- in relation to Ken Giles now. I don't think there's any point in trading him now because you're not going to get full value. It sucks because it may stump the rebuild just a little bit because, honestly, I think you and I may have both gone on record on previous shows or with Adam Corsair or whoever it may be, but we both thought Ken Giles would actually be their biggest trade chip. And I guarantee you Ken Giles would have gotten them maybe even top two 100 prospects. One for sure, maybe even a top 50 prospect on the major league list. There's teams always looking for bullpen help. At this point, Craig, if you're trading him, it's for diminished value, and then the front office has to wait keeping him and selling him next trade deadline because maybe that value is about the same. I but guess your have... only argument, Brendan, is is Ke- a hurt Ken Giles still worth more than Edwin Diaz? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but that, and that's where the trade market is now going. They're literally knocking on the, the Mets' door for a guy that hasn't been able to get the ball across the plate or he's been getting shelled when he does this season. Lights freaking out before this season. And this is the volatility that a lot of our friends have been alluding to with relief pitchers. The fact is, Ken Giles has done nothing but be solid in any kind of save opportunity. And it, I, I'm not taking anything short than what I originally imagined. He's fine. It's just he's a little off now, and you got to wait for him to get healthy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a shame because Ken Giles is going to get a haul. But at the same time, I'm very happy to keep him here if he, in fact, is not traded. One thing we brought up before the show, I don't know if this is, I'm sure this has been done before. Would you consider signing Ken Giles to a long-term extension only for the fact to boost his trade value at next deadline where you send him to a contending team knowing they can have Ken Giles for another three to four years after that? Is that an option that's on the table? If he comes back strong and we talk about this in the off season. I would be completely open with that. Because the worst-case scenario is what we were talking about. You have somebody solid at the end of your bullpen. Yeah. I uh, At this point, Craig, I want to keep Ken Giles. I uh, don't think there's any point in selling low on him. There's definitely not going to be that value that he would have gotten. So they're really going to have to hit on some of these other trade uh, trade assets that they do have. One of those could be Daniel Hudson. The Boston Red Sox were rumored to be looking into Edwin Diaz, but they've apparently switched their focus to, quote, lesser relievers. Would Daniel Hudson fit that mold for the Boston Red Sox? Absolutely. What will you get for Daniel Hudson? I'm not too sure. It's probably going to be more of a lottery ticket, kind of like maybe like a David Phelps return, like a Thomas Hatch. Where do you ultimately end up thinking Daniel Hudson goes? Because you have the Red Sox, you have the Twins who still really haven't made a move. Does Daniel Hudson get moved, and could it be a much better return than we think? I'm wondering how desperate some of these teams are getting for bullpen arms, and Daniel Hudson is one of those ones that the Blue Jays also dumpstered off and stole and have turned into something really, really nice. And in all reality, he if Sam Gavilio didn't trail off like he has been a little bit since the you know early season MVP form that he had, I would make the argument outside of Ken Giles that Daniel Hudson has easily been our best bullpen arm, and he's been very consistent, and in all reality, he's had to figure out some high leverage positions too, so that's got to be appealing to a lot of teams out there. I I completely agree. I would not be surprised if Daniel Hudson actually gets a nice little haul. You might even be able to get two prospects for him. They probably definitely won't be top 100 prospects, or at least one of them won't be. Or way Um, off as far as they're three years down the line or something like that. Exactly. And you know what? I still wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's a pitcher, a starting pitcher, and probably not as highly regarded as a Simeon Woods-Richardson, but lottery tickets. And you know what? You pick Daniel Hudson up off the scrap heap as well. He was let go by the Angels. And if you could turn him into an asset or two, that is good. That's a good piece of business by the Toronto Blue Jays. Craig, the final trade chip that we haven't covered yet is Justin Smoke, who we've kind of gone back and forth on if he would actually be traded. Justin Smoke, apparently there's interest from the Cleveland Indians and there's interest from the Tampa Bay Rays. Do you see Justin Smoke getting moved between now and the 4 p.m. deadline tomorrow? Because I still don't. It would not shock me that the Rays are the one really kicking that door in. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) They know what Justin Smoke's done to him repetitively for years, and they just got to see him pretty damn up close. As Justin Smoke is fully in health and in true form right now, and this is the guy, Kai, you want catching fire this point in the season to run into a playoff run. And for an offense like the Rays, having some extra thump outside of Austin Meadows and Tommy Pham, which are different kinds of thump in the lineup to me, having Justin Smoke bat behind those guys is just night and day. It is. It absolutely is. And I could see them being a really good fit for Justin Smoke. I also understand the Cleveland Indians' interest in Justin Smoke because you can tell the one missing piece from that offense is Edwin Encarnacion because he was their bopper that could get them on the board in a hurry. They don't have that legitimate power threat. Not saying Justin Smoke is Edwin Encarnacion, but Justin Smoke is pretty damn good. He can get you on base. He can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Would Blue Jays fans revolt if Justin Smoke goes to Cleveland because it's another trade and the whole Shapiro Atkins thing? <laughs> well, as we get equal return, I don't think it matters where he goes. Or at least that's my opinion. And if if I'm going to pilfer out of somebody's system, why wouldn't I pilfer out of the guys I like from where I just came from? It's the same thing as if you went and got a new job and you wanted to bring your good working friends with you to your new employer. It's the same thing. It's a very good way of putting it, Craig. And I wish that more Blue Jays fans would have that viewpoint and opinion. And it's only going to continue over the next little bit. We are under 24 hours until the trade deadline. The Blue Jays have a lot of uncertainty when it comes to Ken Giles. As we said, they've traded Marcus Stroman. They've traded Eric Sogard. And now they've traded David Phelps. There's still some work to be done by this front office. Craig, there are two more topics kind of segueing away from the trade deadline I want to cover before we start wrapping things up today. Shelly Duncan, what the hell happened with him? He's been reassigned to the front office. I got a good joke for you. Yes. I'm guessing he wrote on the whiteboard in the locker room, this ship is sinking. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine. (laughs) Just to bring back one, you know, why not? Shea Hill and Brandon and just go out with a freaking blaze of glory. Um, I'm guessing that there was some kind of outburst between whatever the news was with the Strowman and how it came about. I'm sure it was a lot with how it was presented by the management (laughs) and all certain things. And I'm just... Shelly Duncan just strikes me as a guy that's a no-nonsense, no-BS kind of guy, and he probably took offense to it. And something happened, I don't know, and here we are. I'm just glad he's not leaving the organization because I honestly think he's a good guy to have in the organization, regardless of the Sakari Brito's thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, regardless of the fact that he was the one that really pined to get Socrates Brito into this organization. He might be right in the long run, (laughs) but he was the reason (laughs) he was in the majors. As long as he He's was, looked, I'm assuming. <laughs> he looked really damn good in AAA, so we'll give him that. He could be okay down in AAA, and if he's up here again soon, let's just hope that he can bring some of that success with him. Exactly. It's weird, Ben. I there, I haven't seen anything. I don't think anybody's heard anything as to the reasoning behind this. I see Shelly Duncan as a no-nonsense guy, like you said. I can also see that rubbing guys the wrong way. Perhaps something was said to a player behind closed doors. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. It just seems a little bit weird that Shelly Duncan was mysteriously reassigned and out of the dugout. It can't be anything to do with his coaching. I think this is a very good coaching staff. But he's still in the he's still in the organization, as you said. He's joined in the front office. I'm I sure. The, he t- I think the crazy thing is this happened right after a trade and the fact that they blew a nine to one lead. It just seems insane. So somebody had to have said something. (laughs) There are definitely some parallels there. It's uh, it's fascinating. And you know what? We can't really dive much deeper on Shelly Duncan at this point. I'm sure there will be some news or somebody will uncover it soon. Maybe Shai Davidi or Ben Nicholson-Smith. Until then, we can only guess. And I don't want to guess anything incorrect or judge his character. But it's different. I haven't seen anything like that before. Just a... It is odd. There's, there's something that has to have happened. I'm sure we'll find out over the next few days. And just for the record, all the stuff I said was all in playful, fun banter, so nobody attack me. <laughs> yeah, no, no attacking here. No attacking here. All playful, fun banter here. This is barroom chat. Shenanigans. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But one thing to put a lovely bow on this episode and kind of look oh, forward. You see what I did? <laughs> 
Bo Bichette is a Toronto Blue Jay. He made his debut last night with the big club, got a hit in his first at-bat, and we now have Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, all up at the big league level. Craig, what were your impressions from Bo Bichette's first big league game last night? Outside the third or fourth at bat where he struck out on a, he knew a curveball was coming and he still couldn't even catch it. But I think that was a lot of uh, the fact that the guy that was throwing it has a hell of a curveball. <laughs> but um, I'm impressed. I'm glad he got a hit in his first major league at bat. And it, this is just more signs of the future, man. And this having Boba Shett, we knew could had nothing left to prove in AAA. So why let him sit there and toil away and twiddle his thumbs and get more and more pissed? We already had heard that he, you know, was like, well, what else do I need to do? And it's not that he brought it up in a cruel manner or he was evil about it or anything. He just kind of more or less called the Blue Jays out and said, if you want me to do something else, you need to tell me what you do. (laughs) (laughs) I got nothing else. I'm just going out here and leaving it all on the field. And I've been doing pretty damn good is how that sounded. <laughs> it's, it's exciting. Uh, it, it is exciting. And you know what? It played out just like we've said the last few episodes. He'd be up here when one of Eric Sogard or Freddie Galvez were traded. I'm sure he was told that after that interview with David Singh a few weeks ago that he would be up here soon. It's exciting. You can really see the core of this position players coming together. And as we've discussed at length today, the core of the position players is coming together finally. You can all see it forming. The team is building quite well. Bo Bichette's here. He's going to be batting lead off tonight. Sean Reed Foley on the mound. It's going to be an exciting night. Craig, give me your prediction for the Kansas City Royal Series. Give me Bo Bichette prediction, actually. Let me rephrase that question. How I, soon does he hit his first home run? Is that tonight? I don't think he hits a home run to this Kansas City Series. Just because it's I don't ballpark. care at all at a ballpark, I think it'll be a good week before he gets a home run. And it's more or less just because of how I see Boba Shett. Boba Shett, in my opinion, regardless of the level of insane power that he possesses, is not a home run hitter. He is a guy that hits ridiculous hard line drives that just happen to carry over the fe- over the fence. The only other guy that was famous for doing that, Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> just saying Ken Griffey Jr. in numerous interviews has never has always said that he doesn't see himself as a home run hitter he sees himself as a guy that makes ridiculously hard contact Bo Bichette is that guy and I honestly think this uh, Kansas City Royals series we're going to get to see how that power on display and hard doubles and him legging out doubles triples I think he might get his first major league triple before he gets his first major league home run wouldn't put it past that I, uh, I, I I definitely can see it happening, and Kansas City is the ballpark for that to happen. Um, I am going to say, I don't know if he hits one this series. I kind of agree with you, but I would not be surprised if he puts one out in the Baltimore series coming up. And that is a four-game series starting Thursday through Sunday, and then they continue on the road next week, uh, and then finally come back home after a series with the Rays for a four-gamer with the New York Yankees. And Craig... Before we wrap things up, were there any other topics of discussion that we didn't cover that you want to bring up before we do our picks to click and reveal a winner from the past week? Bingo on that one. So what the first thing I have to say, because this is just an awesome tidbit that I saw all over Twitter, including Hazel May and a few others putting it out, Bo Bichette debuted in the same ballpark his dad did. And I just think that's mind-blowing because what are the freaking chances <laughs> especially think about this Dante Bichette played his most of his career in the National League and to play in Kansas City for his major league debut seems really weird <laughs> and he was named after Bo Jackson <laughs> bingo oh yeah so many freaking Kansas City Royals references I'm just glad they're old ones and not ones that I you know don't want to remember like 2015, you said? Like this how stupid Buck Martinez and Pat Tabler brought it up and basically recited the entire ninth inning again last night. Ugh. I was ready to pull up my hair. It was I muted so it. annoying. <laughs> I switched over to the radio feed on my Google Home. <laughs> or, you know what? Play this podcast. If you want to listen to the game or put the game on mute in the background, give a listen to this show. We go in-depth on Blue Jays fans, on the Blue Jays themselves, obviously, and a whole bunch of other levels. Craig, reveal the winner of this past week's Picks the Click. Why don't you? 
So I'm going to go through ours first because we didn't do too bad ourselves, Brandon. <laughs> so I had Marcus Stroman, but only with him getting one start, regardless of the fact that it was lights out, like we called on this show last week. Marcus Stroman doesn't have enough to solidify a pick-to-click over the company to me. You picked Daniel Hudson. Also had a very, very, very strong week. But in the guest spot, putting another tally on the board for the guest spot and putting them in the lead with two wins <laughs> is Sister with a Bolter or at Sister with Bolter on Twitter. You picked Teoscar Hernandez, and you are the first guest winner of Jaybird Watching's Picks a Click here for the show. And what a heck of a pick that was. Oh, my God. Um as far as things go, sister, I hope that things are going good on a vacation, regardless of the fact that you said you might have three screaming kids running around. That's why you didn't want to give a shout-out verbally for yourself on here's show. We appreciate the uh, tweet in and the pick anyways. Just her reasoning for her pick was the fact that she saw the other Buffalo guys go down and come back up and rake, and she just figured it was Teoscar Hernandez's turn. There she goes. Well done with the bolter. Craig, who's your pick to click for this week? I'm going to go Vladdy. I've been seeing him trending upwards lately, and I think it's uh, the fact that now he's got Biggio and Bichette in the lineup with him. The three of them are going to now play off each other like it has been every other minor league level, and I think, just like in all the other levels, Vladdy is going to take the step and outstyle everybody. I hope you're right, because it would be so exciting to see him get hot especially now that his best friend Boba Shad is up here. I'm actually going to stick with pitchers because I seem to have success with them. <laughs> I, for some reason, am really intrigued by Jacob Wegespeck. I've talked about him a lot on the show. He's actually had some very good stretches and stints going through an order once, looked quite comfortable. He's racking up some strikeouts, so I am going to go with Jacob Wegespeck, who makes a start tomorrow afternoon in Kansas City and may get one more before we record again. Solid pick, man. He's been definitely doing pretty good, and honestly, he's starting to look like a guy that really is wanting a shot at the starting rotation for next season. And I just love the fact the fla- how much flack he got for being like a six something ERA guy in AAA. This is a classic case of a guy that was doing the right things in AAA that finally figured out how to make it click in the major leagues. So it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun, and it's gonna start to. We're going to be able to start making calls on these guys, and that's exactly what we've been saying for the last few weeks. Waggis Path, Sean Reed Foley, Thomas Pannone, you're now in the rotation. Now that Marcus Stroman is gone, you have your opportunity Run with it. to carve out a role for next year, and I'm looking forward to it. And you know what? I think in season past, Craig, especially with a lot of veterans on the team, they're falling out of it. There wasn't a whole lot of reason to watch. Now that Bo Bichette is up, the kids are here. There is a lot of reason to watch this team and still be excited about it heading into next year. I want you to give me one final thing before we wrap things up tonight. You mentioned Anthony K's Twitter account, at TonyBuckets18. He tweeted out to Jays fans, Jays fans, I need some help. Give me some info on Canada or Toronto that I need to know. I'm clueless. Have you given him anything yet? And Blue Jays fans who listen, you better reply to this tweet because it's pretty funny. And then not to mention the, tr- the trending Twitter ensemble that's going after. I think the best reply that he had was the fact that somebody told said, oh, poutine's the best thing about Canada. And he goes, what is poutine? With a period, 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 question mark. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> He's going to be denied entry at the border. <laughs> not knowing what poutine is whenever he gets up to the big leagues. <laughs> it, but it is a, I'm, I can't believe the fact that I'm looking at this right now, that there's 503, sorry, 504 replies and, tr- and trending more. <laughs> <laughs> to yeah, this toy. The fact he's got to be freaking out. And he, how excited do you get being traded to a new team? He's gonna be literally dancing on the border, basically. I feel like in Buffalo, and he goes, "Come on, I want up, I want up." <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, the fact that a lot of our friends from our previous Buffalo Bisons uh, trip are the ones chiming in on this is pretty good too. But it is a great Twitter follow right now to be able to check that out, and uh, they endorse all bat flips as one of my favorite ones. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, but 
Thanks. As far as the that picks is- to click thing, Brendan, this is another week that you and I are the only ones on the show, regardless of the fact that we might be doing a post-trade deadline show this Friday, Saturday, whatever it might be. Um, fans, just like Sister with a Bolter, you make sure you get us on Twitter at BirdWatchingGC and see if you can get your shout-out this week. And like I said, we might even offer an opportunity if we can make the schedules work to have you come on for a minute and go, this is why I picked whoever. 100%. I think that's a great way to get some listeners on board, on the show, live, get to know you a little bit, submit them. And make sure, as well, guys, that you all subscribe, rate, like, listen, wherever it is, promote it, tell your friends about it, tag us, tweet us, whatever you can. We want more listeners. We want you to come on the show. And, Craig, until our next episode, whether it is on Friday or Saturday, I will end things with a let's go, Blue Jays. Let's go, Blue Jays. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.